Beyond the Headline hey, with Aldrin Simpia on SAFM. Weekdays, 3 to 6 p.m. 0614104107. You can also drop me an X at Aldrin Simpia. And our studio line is 086-000-2032. So, um, South Africa's state of the economy and the legacy of the sixth administration. That's going to be our focus for the interview. So as we edge closer to the state of the nation address this evening, we take the opportunity to look back on the legacy of the sixth administration as we focus on the successes and failures of two areas, the economy, and then we'll also be speaking a bit later on about the foreign policy. We are now joined by two experts that will help us unpack not only what to expect this evening, but the culmination of a five-year term that is coming to an end ahead of the election. But remember also um, that the president had a one-year head start in 2018. We start off the conversation with Professor Carl van Aert, who is a professor and research director at UNISA's Bureau for Market Research and heads up the Market Intelligence Research Division. Prof, good afternoon, and thank you so much for making time for us. Hi, good afternoon. Thank you so much for having me on the program. How would you describe the state of South Africa's economy? Well, it's a mixed bag. Um, there's some very good news and there's some very, very bad news. Um, if you look, for example, Hi, Prof. Okay, we have lost a Prof van uh, Art there. We're going to try and reconnect uh, with a Prof van Art focusing on the economy. Your voice notes on 0614-104107. And remember that you can also drop me an X at Aldrin St. Pierre. Okay, we've got the Prof back on the line. Uh, prof, you are still explaining that it is a mixed bag. Yes, it's a mixed bag of results um, for the um, past five years. If you, uh, for example, have a look at your um, economic growth, um, during this time, it was actually meager economic growth, and uh, together we, with that, we um, saw, for example, that your total um, number of jobs only increased by 2%, or, or just over 2% during this period, while the population increased sub- substantially during this time. Um, we also see, for example, that um, your um, unemployment rates, especially your expanded unemployment rates, um, grew by 26% um, during this period. And we um, also see um, that the uh, poverty rate um, increased sub- sub- substantially during these years. And um, then we also see that all the downside risks to economic growth also increased dramatically over this time. Um, also what um, has happened during this period is just that we also see uh, growth in governance problems uh, growth with respect to problems with respect to corruption. So um, when you look, for example, at the negatives, there's a lot of negatives. There are also some positives. So, firstly, with respect to monetary policy, um, we see, for example, that um, inflation is being very well managed um, in South Africa. And um, we've seen that during this period, um, inflation increased for a while, but it was very effectively uh, brought back. Um, into the um, band of the Reserve Bank. We also saw d- during this period that the number of people acquiring degrees as well as uh, um, obtaining their matric qualifications um, grew uh, sub- sub- substantially. We also s- saw, for example, that the number of people um, that are connected to electricity, that are connected to water, etc., 
um, also grew substantially. So there's some of those socioeconomic things that um, um, was very positive during this period. That's why I'm indicating that it was really a mixed bag of results during this period. Yep. Um, and speaking now about the Reserve Bank, because the Reserve Bank governor has been hammering on and on about um, the fiscal discipline that is required from the state side, but also the issue around load shedding. And last year, um, the Reserve Bank had estimated that load shedding is costing the economy, economic growth around 1.8%. There have been some reforms that have been announced um, by the president and also the decision that was taken by um, Treasury. Um, to take on some of ESCOM's debt. How far do you think that, have, that has gone to actually try reboost the economy and ensure that we have sustainable electricity supply? Well, all indications are at this stage that, um, that this year, with respect to um, load shedding, will even be worse than uh, 2023. And um, it's also very clear that um, there's quite a lot of endemic problems as well um, with respect to ESCOM that will make it very, very difficult for better performance. Um, I know that there was also a lot of promises made in the past with respect to a wide variety of methods to alleviate the power crisis, but that hasn't happened. The other thing that you need to keep remembering, um, we could can, for example, say that something like um, um, load shedding um, contribute to about 1.8 or 2% um, loss in Hi, Prof. Uh, hi. Uh, sorry, sorry, we, 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 we lost you there for a second. Yeah, sorry. Um, uh, uh, the one thing that we need to remember is is that um, it's not just load shedding that's contributing to lower economic growth in South Africa. There's a whole host of downside risks and a growing number of them. That includes, for example, the grey listing um, that has happened last year. That, that includes, for example, a wide number of uh, structural constraints to the South African economy that's becoming um, worse. And then, for example, with um, the growing levels of, um, of um, both South African investors and international investors not being willing to invest in South Africa, um, the growing consumer financial vulnerability, all of these things are contributing, for example, to this low growth um, environment and it's really going to take uh, s- the wisdom of Solomon to get us out of this situation. Yeah, but on the on the grey listing, the president said that it's actually not that bad. Well, um, it, there are basically two ways to look at that. The, 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 the one way, for example, is just to have a look at um, the impact on, for example, the value of the rand against the dollar as well as um, levels of economic growth since that um, happened. And remember, it's just that um, the um, rand has been weakening against the, the dollar for um, quite a lot of years, and we've been trapped in a low-growth environment for some time. And there was an expectation from a lot of doomsayers that you know this will really be um, really the end of the e- economy, etc. So a lot of people say the fact that that hasn't happened is proof um, of um, the fact that it's not so bad. However, when you um, uh, look at um, recent pronouncements by industry, especially by um, industry bodies, including BUSA and now also from the union side, from UASA and 
Kusatu, um, it's very, very clear, for example, that grey listing is having a massive impact on business in South Africa, increasingly also with the engagement of South Africa with the outside world, etc. So this impact is still a, a growing impact. Yeah. Um, let's just quickly move the conversation a bit to what's happening um, around geopolitics and the impact that that, of course, has on the economy. Um, we were expecting, well, there was a lot of reports that in 2023 we could see another uh, global recession. Um, and this year we are hearing talks of a much softer landing than what was anticipated last year. And also um, the feds in the U.S. saying that they do expect that, that there could be um, a rate cut after the cycles of, of rate increases and also keeping the rates unchanged. What does that mean for South Africa, but also what has happened in Ukraine? What are some of the lessons that we should draw from that and the impact that that has had on CPI? Um, let's just have a look at what is happening globally. As, as you've indicated, this is that when you look, for example, at the various um, economic forecasts by um, the um, top economic institutions worldwide, you'll notice that there's a lot of uncertainty with respect to um, what the world economy will be um, like in 2024. And some of the main reasons, as you've just indicated, this is that there's a lot of uncertainty how a lot of the geopolitical conflicts um, will play out and whether that will escalate. For example, um, it could be that the Middle East war um, could escalate also to other countries impacting on the supply of uh, Brent crude, for example, which will have a huge impact on production worldwide, on consumers, on uh, price inflation, um, etc. Et so that's a, a big unknown at the moment. Um, you referred, for example, to the FIC with the possibility of a rate cut. The one thing that we've learned is that um, when you want to know, for example, whether the South African Reserve Bank will cut rates, you must um, follow what happens with, with the Fed because the Reserve Bank often um, follows in the footsteps of the Fed. Um, the expectations at the moment is just that there could be possible rate cuts in the third quarter and um, there's an indication that it might possibly not be earlier also because of the global uncertainty with respect to inflation how that is going to play out given um, the world situation. Yeah. Uh, final one, Prof, as we conclude the conversation still on the Reserve Bank. Um, we know the ANC's policy decision back in 2017 around the so-called nationalization of, um, of, of, of the Reserve Bank. A lot of people have argued that you leave the Reserve Bank unchanged as it is and also allow the Reserve Bank space to deal with its particular mandate. And the Reserve Bank governor has said the same thing. But over and over again comes the conversation around whether the mandate of the Reserve Bank should also change and that the Reserve Bank should see itself as existing in the conditions that, um, that a lot of South Africans face in terms of the lack of economic growth and the impact that that is having on the quality of life and the cost of living. Yeah, thanks for that question. It's just that um, there's basically um, two arguments in, in this case. The first argument is just that, yes, the World Bank, sorry, yes, the Reserve Bank should be nationalized because when you have a look at world banks, sorry, at um, central banks worldwide, um, there's only, I think, six of the countries where the um, central banks are private and the rest are linked to government. 
So that could be one argument. Um, there was also an argument that at the moment that monetary policy and fiscal policy and broad economic policy are not um, aligned with, with one another. And um, that could also be possibly be a, a, a reason to bring the Reserve Bank in, into the fold. One thing that's, however, of concern for a lot of economists is the fact that um, when you look at how the Fed and quite a lot of central banks make their decisions with respect to um, interest rate movements, they um, use the so-called Glenn Rudebusch method that um, takes into account both inflation and growth concerns. So, uh, for example, in that way, um, you, you basically also um, use interest rate movements to support growth in the country. And the concern at the moment is, is that the very strong focus of the Reserve Bank only on containing price inflation um, could, for example, be um, keeping South Africa for a, a very long period in a low growth trajectory, leading to higher levels of, of unemployment, poverty, um, etc. But I think there's, there's, there's two sides of the um, argument. Thank you so much for your time. Professor Carl van Art is a professor and research director at UNISA's Bureau for Market Research and heads up the Market Intelligence Research Division. Hashtag SAFMBTH. Professor Anthony Nivkerk is now joining us on the line, Professor of International Relations and Security at the Tabombeke African School of Public and International Affairs as we look at the Sixth Administration and Global Politics. Prof, good evening. Thank you so much for making time for us. What would you say some of the highs and lows are for the Sixth Administration on its approach to geopolitics? Um, good afternoon, Alderman. Uh, thanks for the conversation. Uh, I think we're waiting to hear if anything of importance is going to happen tonight uh, in international affairs, international relations. I, I doubt that somehow. Let me give you what I think... Uh, uh, are the five or six highlights over the, the period since 2018 when President Ramaphosa took the helm. Um, and I, I'm, I'm thinking of international relations in three concentric circles, if you want. Uh, closer to home, there's the Africa agenda, a very busy agenda, by the way. Slightly broader, there's the Global South agenda, which has become quite attractive and quite interesting and challenging in the last couple of months. And then, of course, there's the international system, the, the big picture stuff, where things also are happening at a very rapid pace. That's another conversation for another day. I think the world is really, world order is changing uh, fundamentally. And we have to find, uh, that's one of the challenges. Here's my first uh, conclusion. Uh, South Africa must, uh, must be sure of its identity as an African nation, lead in Southern Africa, play a, play a leadership role in the global south, as it is beginning to do. Uh, but despite this positive note, there were there were setbacks. There were many setbacks. Um, uh, for example, um, if I start on the on the international system, uh, we were not really able. We the South African government wasn't really able to influence the big uh, agenda items. Um, for example, uh, we know now that the United Nations system is quite big, demo- uh, uh, bureaucratic, administrative and fails to make and keep the peace where it matters most. I mean, Ukraine is an example, Sudan is another example, uh, Gaza is another example. 
the UN has sort of uh, become a bystander or a provider of humanitarian aid, you know, and um, mm. and South Africa can't really make an impact there. Nor can we shape, you know, the World Bank or the IMF or global economics. Uh, we go to Davos, uh, the World Economic Forum, but uh, only as participants, not really as, as agenda setters, unfortunately. And it's very clear that, uh, that the permanent five on the Security Council determines peace and security agendas. They also sell weapons to everybody who wants to make a war, by the way. And we are asking, or South Africa, or the Global South is asking for a fundamental reform Mm. of this decision-making body. It's not really happening. And then there was a glimmer of hope, you know. Uh, don't forget that uh, the New Dawn was um, um, uh, pulled down or made unworkable, if you want, largely because of the impact of COVID-19. The country shut down and uh, we had to look inward for three, four years. And there was a moment when President Ramaphosa went to the African Union and said, let's negotiate with the global north to get them to lift this international uh, intellectual property rights so that we can manufacture vaccines yep. here at home. Right. He didn't succeed. Uh, they gave him crumbs from the table. He, he went to G7 and G20 meetings and they made promises and that never materialized, giving rise to this, um, co to this new idea of um, health apartheid or vaccine apartheid. And unfortunately, he tried hard but failed. Um, the same you can say about, you know, Aldrin, I, we don't have time for a deeper discussion, but mm. the, the Sustainable Development Goals and Agenda 2030 is on the table for a, re, a review and for a reconceptualization. And in fact, later in the year, in September, the UN will have a big summit about the future. Uh, how should global governance look like? And um, if we don't get our own house in order, uh, we won't be able to play with the big guys on that stage. So that's the international system. If I come closer to home, the global south, I think um, we were not really able to uh, make any impression on some of these important uh, multilateral um, agenda setting organizations to which we belong. I'll give you an example quickly. The non-aligned movement, uh, you have to ask, they met in Uganda the other day. Uh, I read the declaration and I couldn't find anything of value or anything new that they had to say. The G77, which sits at the UN, so all the countries of the Global South plus China trying to influence UN debates, uh, they really struggle and we don't have a strong voice there, uh, unfortunately. And the third one, just by way of example, is we have interest in the Indian Ocean and in the, mm. the Indo-Pacific. In fact, this maritime security interest and also a commercial interest has really become uh, a hot potato because of what's happening in the Red Sea, in Yemen, the Horn of Africa and Gaza. And we were unable because strategically we are not positioned very well in our foreign policy to take advantage of this new flow of uh, seaborne traffic. Um, and then if I come to the Africa agenda uh, very briefly, that is really the one where the heart of our foreign policy, policy sits and it's a very busy agenda. We did achieve um, uh, some breakthroughs, um, for example, um, the South African government was very involved in mediation um, mm -hmm. on the African continent. Remember former Deputy President um, Pumzile Blaman Muka yeah. was yeah. elected by the AU and she played a role with Opasanjo and uh, one or two others, uh, somebody from Kenya. Kenyatta. Um, Kenyatta. Uhuru Kenyatta. Ethiopia. Right, yeah. To, to, yeah, yeah, to, to make a, a to, to create an agreement between Ethiopia, Eritrea and to bring that war to an end. 
So that is that was a breakthrough, and we have a presence. We had a presence in Lesotho, in Eswatini, and even in the Comores and in Madagascar, yeah. where quietly our diplomats play a mediating role behind the scenes. And we even deployed soldiers to Cabo Delgado in northern Mozambique. Uh, and we are now deploying soldiers to the Eastern DRC on peace missions. Uh, this is a big commitment. It takes a lot out of us. It is unclear what at least we are committed to, to peace and security in the region. And then finally, you know, the big issue also is trade and the trade agenda. And uh, there I have a question mark. I don't know to what extent, apart from uh, Cyril Ramaphosa promoting the African free trade um, agreement, it's, it mm. sits close to his heart. He talks about it all the time. <laughs> you know, that's his foreign policy. Uh, and we all agree with him. Whether SADC is busy integrating as a region, in, uh, to allow the free flow of goods and services and people and uh, finances yeah. and have secure borders at the same time over in this really a difficult one that I think we don't know how to tackle at the moment. Definitely. Thank you so much for your time. Um, that is Professor Anthony Nivkerk, who is a professor in international relations and security at the Tabumbeki African School of Public and International Affairs.